0: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of BGN Memories, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolnes. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolnes. We're going to continue our look back at the 1980 NFC Champion Eagles season, and... I've got a terrific guest joining me uh, for this episode of the podcast, head coach of that 1980 Eagles team and Philadelphia Eagles NFL legend Dick Vermeil will be joining me in just a second to give us his thoughts and memories on what it took to build that 1980 Eagles team and what it was to go through that season, finally overtaking the Dallas Cowboys and moving on to the franchises for Super Bowl. So we're going to we're going to join Coach Vermeil here in just a second and then a little bit later in the podcast, uh, we'll go through some of the games that took place in November as the Eagles raced out to an eleven and one record. Got some some fun highlights for you as uh, did some rewatching of some of those regular season games. So that's all coming up here on this edition of BG and Memories. But first, I have the honor of being joined by NFL legend Dick Vermeil, Super Bowl thirty four champion with the St. Louis Rams, two time NFL Coach of the Year, uh, and uh, was voted into the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame, and of course the uh, the head coach of of that great 1980 Eagles team that beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game and went to the Super Bowl. Coach Vermeil, thank you so much for coming on BGN Memories. How are you, sir? I'm
1: doing great. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about
0: my Eagles. Yeah, man, it's 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 been such fun going through this season because uh, I know a lot of current Eagles fans just don't know much about that 1980 team, but uh, the first Eagles team to go to the Super Bowl and, and and what you did transforming that team from from where it was in the 60s and 70s to becoming a winner in, in the late 1970s was was just astonishing. So, when we talk about this 80 Eagles team, we kind of need to talk about the lead up to that season. So, I guess my first question is how dire were things when you first took the helm of the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, you were at UCLA and things were, things you had a a potential national championship team there and you left to take over an Eagles team. That was one of the worst teams in the NFL. How big a challenge was that?
1: Well, obviously it was a challenge big. They had been losing for a number of years. They had broken even one season at a seven and seven record there in that long span without a playoff team. But, uh, I, initially I was not going to take the job and George Allen and, and Chuck Knox both said, uh, coach, I know both of these guys personally. And I did, you know, George Allen and Chuck Knox having worked for him. And he said, you know, very seldom does someone ever call you up on a phone or offer you an NFL football job. And, uh, you better really seriously rethink your thinking. Yeah. And so I did, I was offered the job or uh, the opportunity to talk about it on a Monday. And I accepted it on a Thursday. I think it was mm met with Jim Murray and Leonard goes a few times at the Beverly Hilton hotel in Beverly Hills, California. And, uh, you know, from there on, I was an Eagle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and you had quite a task to build a roster there, too, because not some, something that many people know is that when you took over, the team didn't have a first-round pick until 1979. So I think your first three seasons, you had to rebuild a roster without a first-round pick. How challenging was it to, to build a roster w- without being able to grab a top talent in the first round like that for so many years?
1: Well, you know, uh, I did it the old-fashioned way. We just yeah. went to work. We had no choice. If you take those kind of responsibilities on, you know the circumstances. Mm. And you were right. John, we had no first, second, or third round pick my first year. No mm. first, second, or third round pick my second year. And no first and second my third year. Wow. So there's, uh, there's eight solid football opportunities right there with solid players drafted at that time. And I often say to myself, I wonder how good that team would have been if we'd had those guys. See, the other negative of all the people they traded for, only a few of them were actually made our football teams. You know, yeah. uh, they were gone. You know, thank heavens Berge was there. Thank heavens, Stan Walter was there. But basically, the rest of the trades and draft choices, high picks that were they used to get these players were gone. Yeah. The return was not very good on the trade. So uh, originally, I started out training camp uh, like I had learned to do it with George Allen. Mm -hmm. Like I learned to do with Chuck Knox and and Tommy Prothrow in pro football. And once I got here and got into the season, now we used to have a an offensive day, a defensive day, a combination day, a light day and play the game. Yeah. And after watching us play and all that, I I said, you know, this is not gonna work. (laughs) We're not gonna get much better doing this. So we did offensive day, defensive day, every day. Mm -hmm. Every day. Yeah. So we had to lengthen the practice. Yeah. almost double the amount of time we were spending on the field and gave good football coaches the opportunity to work with the players that we had. And uh, going back to a John Wooden statement that he made to me when I was a head coach at UCLA was don't worry about the other team's talent. He said, USC, just make sure you make those that you have the best they can be. Yeah. So, and the only way you can do that is work. Yeah. So that's what we did, John. We just went to work Had a great coaching staff. I made some changes in the second year there. We brought Jaworski in, mm-hmm. hit it with Wilbert Montgomery, Carl Harrison, uh, Charlie Johnson, these kind of draft choices. And then free agents, you know, Johnny Shire had played full quarterback for him, made a safety out of him. He played yeah. quarterback at UCLA. And these kind of people all came in. You know, we get Vince Papale off the street. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, but the big thing is we went to work and we coached them how to play their position better.
0: Yeah. And that takes buy-in from players, too, and, and coaching staff, because I think one of the things that you've often talked about is, you know, they, you worked them really hard, but everybody says about you, you worked harder than, than the players did or, or as hard as, or harder than the players did. And, and they have to – players had to see that and know that, you know, we're busting our tails day in and day out, but the coach is doing the same thing.
1: Well, you know, I believe one of the my, number two concepts in my philosophy of coaching is be a good example. Surround yourself with good examples. Fill the locker room up with people that are good examples for everybody around them. And uh, I really believe in that. And first, John, I never put myself in a category of being smart enough to outsmart somebody. Already, you know, you're not going to outsmart Tom Landry and Don Shula and the Bill Walshers of the world. But maybe because you're young and passionate, enthusiastic, uh, that maybe you can outwork them. And coaching to me was never work. (laughs) I never felt like I went to work a day in my life, except the day after a loss. Okay. (laughs) uh, And, you know, we had a lot of guys quit. We had a number of guys walk off the practice field. But uh, those that stayed, there were 12 guys off the original roster that went to a Super Bowl five years later, 12 players
0: make that journey that must have been that must have been incredible for those guys and i i imagine that's why it was so emotional for you when when you guys finally did break through because you had some of those guys who were there for the really lean years for the years when eagles fans were were just brutally negative towards the team and and understandably so to to be able to to take everybody through that process and then eventually break through must have just been so emotional that i it's it's hard to imagine anybody not getting emotional about it
1: well, you know, I'm razzed all the time. Yeah, know. I know, Even yeah. Even uh, Boomer Siasen made a sarcastic remark on television the other day, interviewing <laughs> uh, Marshall Falk, you know, what did for meal cry for you or something oh. like that. You know, I, I I really believe in being who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Just do yeah. who you are. And I call that emotional integrity. Mm-hmm. If you're if you have integrity emotionally, people really know you. Yeah. And it helps you develop a deeper level of trust with them and it it eliminates, uh, a lot of second guesses early. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I was for it. I was, you know, you could call it lucky. I, I, I often said to friends, you know, if some of the things we did in our early draft without first said third round picks were done in New York, they'd make you a hero, make you a genius. My personal people, (laughs) but here it's, you're lucky. You're lucky to get a Wilbert Montgomery. You're, you're lucky to get, Charlie Johnson you're lucky to get Carl Harrison you know yeah, in, yeah. like 16 17 years in the league uh <laughs> you know we worked hard at it mm-hmm. collectively everybody yeah. very unselfish group of people
0: and you wonder if football karma recognized that and the hard work that you guys put in started to started to turn things around with that miracle at the meadowlands in 78 because that that was seemed to be the launch pad um, I mean, obviously, the hard work you all put in and everything like that was, was the root cause of success, but that miracle at the Meadowlands, just, it was a nice karma, a karmic moment for, for a franchise where, where I think the fan base, anyway, started to think, you know, m- maybe things are starting to turn around a little bit, and I got to imagine having a fan base starting to rally behind the team had to, had to help the team and help the players and help you as coaches as well.
1: Well, this, this is a blue-collar, hard-working city. Yeah. Sometimes they're criticized for it and they're made fun of it, but it's a great quality. That's mm-hmm. how our great nation was built. Yeah. People working together, you know, and I used to invite George Allen to training camp because I'd worked for him as the first special teams coach in 1969. And I'll never forget this. He went off our practice field one day at Westchester. Mm-hmm. And we'd moved from, uh, from Chester, to Widener College. Yeah. And he said, you know, Coach, he says, I've never seen an NFL team work like your guys work. You Mm. see, we're into the program now. They know how to work, know how long to stay on the practice. Uh, Anyway, and he says, you know, this team has the talent to win about four games in the league, but it wouldn't surprise me you win 12. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. And I never, ever forgot that. But he was reflecting his thoughts in regard to watching those kids now that, you know, they were men, young men. How they worked, and fortunately yeah. for me a, a number of them are still in town they live around yeah. here
0: yeah. i had dinner with eight of them
1: about <laughs> three weeks ago okay
0: oh that's great
1: yeah so uh just they're they're what i consider some of my closest closest friends because mm-hmm. we went through so much together yeah
0: well i talked to jerry robinson last month uh for, for yeah, the podcast <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. He's wonderful. And he had nothing, I mean, obviously nothing but wonderful things to say about you and his, his time where, cause you had him at UCLA as well. And so.
1: Yeah, I had him as a freshman.
0: Right. Old receiver. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He didn't mention that part. Uh, but oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. But he, I mean, he just, he talked so, so highly of you and and that team. And I want to talk about the 80 team because it was a special team. I mean, you could see the progression and we see this with football teams. Sometimes you see teams take steps. Sometimes a team just bursts onto the scene like your 99 Rams did uh, where, you know, that you didn't have the, okay, we, we, we have a winning record. Then we make the playoffs and we win around and then we get to the Super Bowl. Sometimes you take steps. Sometimes it just happens out of nowhere for you. I think you could see the progression building, but in 1980, when you were coming into the 1980 season, did you have a sense that you could take that, that you were going to take that next step and, and really be the cream of the conference?
1: I really did. I really did see the year before uh, fifth game of the season, Pittsburgh Steelers world champion mm-hmm. came to Philadelphia, the fifth game of the season undefeated and we beat them. Mm. And from that timeline, that solidified the confidence and the belief in what we were doing, that it was right, and yeah. that we could beat the best football teams in football. We just have to stay healthy yeah. and consistently play to our ability and keep working to get better. Yeah. And uh, we use the same philosophy at uh, St. Louis, same training camp routines and all that. And every, well, nobody else was working like that anymore. And I, uh, I know uh, nine guys ended up going to the Super Bowl off my first Ram team, nine guys, wow. but See, we had first and second and third round picks. Yeah. <laughs> and free agency. And yeah. so we had a big advantage here. So we got it done in three years. But, yes, that was a great, great group. And where, where the team really showed its grit is in the second half of football, in the fourth quarter. You know, mm. they don't get credit for it. You know, we gave up 44 points in 16 games in the fourth quarter that wow. year. 44 wow. points. We scored 130. Yeah. So, you know, when – when players start seeing that, what they do is they start taking all their work that they had invested and they start taking pride in the result they're getting out of that commitment.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So they come to work every day expecting to work, expecting mm-hmm. to get better, expecting to be driven and to drive others. So it was it was a great feeling. It was a good football team. It was good enough to win the Super Bowl. But in a series of one, we lost, okay? We didn't play well. We turned the ball over. I I didn't do a good enough job myself. That's Mm -hmm. the way I look.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going through the season month by month and I'm I'm going through November and, and November was a particularly challenging part of the schedule for you because you yeah. had three straight road games to open the month. Four of your five games were on the road in the month of November and you were playing some real good football teams. You had you had the Raiders, the Raiders in there. You had the Chargers in there, both AFC opponents that were really, yeah. really good. And, you know, and, and, you know, divisional opponents like Washington, even though I, you guys pitched a shutout in that game, divisional games are always a brutal matchup. Yeah. So, well,
1: you know, we had those teams were all had some outstanding Hall of Fame caliber coaches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, Joe Gibbs was with Washington at that point, right? And and Joe uh, theismann
1: was, he was the head coach in 81. Okay. Okay. Jack right. Maybe at 80. Yeah.
0: I think you're right. You're right. But Joe Theismann, at quarterback, that, you know, in that game, and, and they have talent, and, you know, it was. but you're right. I mean, I think what, we, what I've been watching is exactly what you're seeing. Your team was a closer. You know, there were a lot of close games early on, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think the 80 season was uh, – the defense was the stronger of, of the two units? As I watch these games, I'm just seeing one phenomenal defensive performance after another from, from, from those guys. And
1: I would say the defense was stronger than the offense. But the offense had improved a lot. You know, yeah. Sid Gilman had helped us improve our offense and our offensive coaches mm-hmm. more actually than the scheme, and, and uh, we benefited from that. But I'd say if the, our defense, coached by Marion Campbell, Fred Bruni, and all all those guys, uh, uh, Chuck Claussen, you know, God, George Hill, who just passed away, yeah. God bless him Uh, They were fine football coaches, <laughs> and. Uh, that defensive team over a period of three years gave up fewer points than the Pittsburgh Steelers, if wow. I remember right. Wow. But they never got credit
0: for it. No. You know. You know. Why is that, do you think? I mean, is it just the, the history of the Eagles being kind of an also-ran? It was kind of tough for, for, for the media and for fans to kind of rinse that away?
1: Well, you know, people tend to uh, stay with the image that a team had for a long time. Mm. They like the Dallas Cowboys. They have a terrible season right now, but it's still America's team, you know. And it will be until they lose three years in a row, you know, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, that's just the way it is. And yeah. uh, I just uh, – I, I know this, that that defensive team was probably either the number one or number two defensive football over a period of years. Sir. Mm. They were yep. really good. Now, offensively, we are up there. You know, mm-hmm. least, I think we averaged 350 yards a game, something like that. They're yeah, close to it, yeah. But, you know, Harold Carmichael averaged 17 yards to catch here. Yeah. How many players in the league right now average 17 yards? You know,
0: yeah. Worski sure. had a
1: 90 quarterback rating then, which is now equivalent to about 105. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, Wilbur Montgomery was hurt part of the year mm-hmm. that year, but still had a good year. We had, you know, Sizemore and Walters and these guys. You know, that, that year not one offensive lineman missed a game.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah, in fact, over seven years, John, after wow. Stan Walters, Jerry Sizemore, Guy Morris combined, seven years, seven years as a starter, combined, they missed two games.
0: <laughs> two games. Did you uh, have some mag- magic elixir? And if so, could you please give it to the current Eagles uh, for, for, no, for health?
1: <laughs> totally different preparation. We were better prepared for daily contact mm. and then really better prepared for uh, contact. In the game, plus the game was played lower. The body center of gravity was played Mm. lower. The knees were bent more. you watch a lot of NFL games now, you'll see a lot of people standing up. So that exposes your body, Mm. you know, uh, to your, especially your legs. And uh, anyway, it's just the whole approach to the game is different. And a lot of it is really good. Some of it's not as good as they think it is.
0: Yeah. As, as we get into the season here, we're going to, obviously, I'm going to do a whole big thing on the NFC Championship game, but I, I want to get your thoughts on, on obviously, one of the greatest games in Eagles history, that NFC Championship game, where I know you've, you've talked about in the past, you had really kind of geared your team up to, to tackle the Dallas Cowboys because they were the cream of the crop in the NFC, yeah. and that's the team that you guys needed to, needed to get over the hump. And uh, you split the regular season series, although in the final game of the season, you didn't need to win that game. It was a point differential that you yeah. needed to make. Points. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, you did that. And then in the NFC Championship game, after, after uh, beating the Vikings in the divisional round, here come the Cowboys to, to Veterans Stadium. And, I, and obviously the city is pumped for it. I got to imagine that the players were pumped for it. You were pumped for it. What did you say to the team? Did you have to say much to the team before that game and the days leading up to it?
1: Well, in my career, I have never, ever been in a locker room before a game. And, and evaluated teams so mentally ready to play. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there was any way they could beat us. And first, we were a good football team, and we knew we could beat the Cowboys because we had beaten them. But the the the, the emotional readiness to play was so glaring, and the air mm-hmm. in the locker room was so intense. I remember walking out of the tunnel. George Allen was standing. He was there as an analyst uh, with the cbs i think whoever was broadcasting the game yeah Mm -hmm. yeah tom brookshire yeah Yeah. was the Mm -hmm. color analyst and george uh, pulled me off to one side he said there is no way the cowboys can beat this football (laughs) team today and i remember i remember the statement i made it's been quoted many times in the locker room i guess if the dallas cowboys take us for granted we're going to kick their ass yeah and uh, I thought maybe Dallas would come in a little bit overconfident because they had scored a lot of points on us on the 16th game of the season. Yeah. In that, all that, and they, they may be a little too confident. But, uh, you know, the frame of mind is very critical when two teams are pretty close. Yeah. So, and we were good at taking the ball away and not turning it over
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: until the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. Well, Jer-
1: anyway, uh, it was our, everything was in our favor. The weather was in our favor. It was very, very, very cold. Yeah. The, the city was electrified. It's mm-hmm. the stadium. The, the feeling in that stadium when you walked in there, it was like you're walking in a 20-foot a, a, a square box. And <laughs> your, everybody was so close and crammed into that box. Yeah, it was, I, mean, I, I never experienced that after that. I never mm-hmm. experienced that
0: before that. Wow, that's awesome. I, I think Jerry Robinson also told a funny story last week. He, was, he said uh, Tony Dorsett had to leave that, that game with an injury, uh, I think, and uh, refused to come back out. Uh, he, he, he was in the training room, and Otho Davis was looking at him, and Otho gave him some, some chili and cornbread, and Tony Dorsett said, I'm done for the day. I'm not, I'm not coming back out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. uh, Dorsett, Dorsett was a pain in the ass for us. was a great <laughs> football player. Yes, he was. And, and Biden, yeah, and running behind a great offensive team, you know, mm-hmm. they were very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, all of yeah. famers on that team.
0: No doubt about it. I mean, and Tom Landry, obviously, yeah. legendary yeah. head coach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so talk about the Super Bowl just, uh, just for a few minutes, because I, the, the team came out a little – it seemed – do you think the team came out tight in the Super Bowl, that uh, they, was just, they, they were just – the, the moment yeah. was, was, was big? Or what happened with Super Bowl fifteen in your eyes?
1: First off, John, everybody that plays in the Super Bowl comes out tight.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Come on. That's yeah. the biggest game in, in the world at that time, and the NFL still is. You're, you're, yeah, I've been in two of them, and you come out tight. Uh, mm. You know, we just didn't play well. Yeah. We did not play well. The circumstances in preparation, evidently I made some mistakes. We didn't play as well as we were capable of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, we were banged up a wide receiver. We only had one starting wide receiver. I remember Charlie Johnson started the game. Charlie, yeah. no, Charlie Smith rather. Yeah. But he had a, uh, a broken jaw. So we let him start one play and then we took him out mm-hmm. and he couldn't play. And Scott Fiske had a stress fracture. Mm-hmm. So we were playing with our number one, Harold Carmichael and our number four wide receiver. Now we're playing against a press coverage, man coverage with the white gloves and tar all over their hands. Uh, <laughs> It was yeah. tough. They yeah. took away things we like to do. We couldn't do it as well. And uh, I compensated by playing Wilbert Montgomery outside some, mm. which I think he was the leading receiver in the game. But then that hurts your running game. Yeah. So, you know, if, if like we all say, if I could do it over again, I'd do some things differently. But sure. unlike the NBA, unlike Major League Baseball, it's not a series of best of seven. Yeah. It's the best of one. Yeah. And the Raiders deserve the win. The one long broken play touchdown should have been called back glaringly. Mm-hmm. Carl Harrison would have sacked the quarterback. The yeah. offensive tackle who was in the Hall of Fame grabbed him by the face mask and pulled him to the right. ground. Right. Okay? Pulled him to the ground or else that play doesn't even happen. Yeah. And, you, know, you know, there are a lot of things like that in all big games that make a difference. But we came out the end. You accept it. You give him credit. Tom Forres is going on the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Good for him. He did yeah. a great job.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think Eagles fans, we we remember that NFC Championship game, you know, more than the Super Bowl, but just because it was the Cowboys and and we because...
1: <laughs> because if we'd have won, that would be that way. <laughs>
0: That's true too. Um,
1: John, let me say this. Yeah, it takes the same thing to go to Super Bowl and win that it does to go there and lose. You got to get there. Yeah, it's and it is tough to get there. I respect my Eagle team as much or more than I do my Ram teams because mm. we got there. Without all the resources to get there, yeah. I remember when I was doing my contract, I had no agent, and the John Shaw, the president, said, "Would you like a clause if you go to the Super Bowl in your contract?" I said, "No thanks. From the salary you're paying me, it looks like you're paying me to do that already." <laughs> you know that was the thinking in those days. I'd do it differently today, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't. You know, we won the Super Bowl. I didn't make any money in the Super Bowl. I gave. You know, that's just the way it was. You know, yeah. but. Uh, it's uh, uh. Everybody remembers the. I don't go anywhere where somebody doesn't say, you know, I was at the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at the game when you beat the Cowboys. You know? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if they really were, but they love to say it.
0: Well, that's what to say, there's probably about two hundred thousand people that will tell you that they were at the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> it only holds about sixty thousand back in those days. That's right. Uh, so do you have one lasting memory from that 1980 Eagles team that, that when you think back, that it's, it's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Well, I, I think the overall character and integrity of the group of men that put that team together, uh, they're still close. They're still friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, whenever they get together, and I'm around them, they tease me a lot. And they talk about how hard they worked. And I, I've heard him say, coach, I go to practice now. It looks like dancing with the stars. Yeah. <laughs> <He> says, <compared laughs> how we worked. They take great pride mm. in what they did to become good players. Yeah. And because they were really good people too. Yeah. Everybody in that locker room was a good example for the guy that was suiting up right next to him. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't, then he didn't stay. He, he either got cut on his own by not working Mm-hmm. Or we just got rid of him. He didn't yeah. fit, yeah. and uh, I I think they take pride. But the number one thought I I think is uh, about the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just it was an amazing group of people.
0: I think my favorite my favorite line that I think I've ever heard you say is hard work is not a form of punishment. And no. I, no. I have three I have three boys nine seven and five and that's the thing that we try to stress to them all the time is with that's school. Our yeah.
1: It's your, well, if you really learn that, it's your solution. Yeah. It's your problem solver. You know, and it's just, today we don't raise kids. We raise them to find a way not to work. Yeah. You know, and uh, that football team was a hard working team. First off, we didn't give them a choice. <laughs> and yes, they bitched and moaned, retired, walked off the field. I can remember seeing guys walk off the field. Yeah. But uh, they, they, they beat, When they started recognizing the reward Mm -hmm. for their effort and and the feeling it gave them, the pride that they started taking in it, we had very, very few bad practices, Mm. very few.
0: If I can ask you real quick about uh, this current Eagles team, um, it looks as though we're kind of at a crossroads here with, with, with the 2020 Eagles. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you've seen from, from this Eagles team this season uh, as you, as you kind of are able to take a step back and, and see what's been going on with, the, with Doug Peterson in the offense and Carson Wentz in the defense. W- what are your thoughts on, on this 2020 Eagles team?
1: Well, first off, way too many injuries. Mm-hmm. Just and that not only affects the way you play game day Sunday, it affects the way you practice. Yeah. You're practicing with guys to fill in that, that and the guy not practicing might end up playing Sunday because mm-hmm. he just couldn't practice all week. Yeah. And, you know, in today, for example, in the old days, if you're bumped, they called you had a bruise. Now they call it a soft tissue injury. <laughs> and you don't play with soft tissue injuries. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just a whole different mindset. But this football team had way too many injuries of critical positions that negatively influence the performance of your best players. Hmm. You can't lose four of your five starting internal offensive linemen and play like you did the quarterback, especially because he's either the victim or the beneficiary of his support staff. Hmm. And that's those guys on the field. And sometimes they were going to play on Sunday, but they couldn't practice all week. So they don't get any better. They get worse, right? You develop bad habits and you aren't, quite ready for the uh, the, the temple of the game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to get through without re-injuring. So yeah. I think that's the number one thing. The other thing is, Doug Peterson hasn't forgot how to coach football. They already brought us to a world championship. Yeah. Yes, he's lost some good coaches, and, and he lost a couple last year. Maybe uh, that's hurt him more than they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, a couple of guys took the blame for not winning a playoff game. I don't know, but they got let go. You hire three more, and uh, a positive contribution hasn't been recognized from that move. Right. And so there's a lot of things. But I think, number one, the injury factory. And that really negatively hurts the number one position on the team. Mm-hmm. Your quarterback. You yeah. know, there's just no way he can play as well. Now look at Foles. Watch Foles yeah. play.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, he, he was a MVP here. Why? Because he had a great support staff that allowed him to play well. See, in Chicago, that offensive line is not very good. Yeah. Even when he's not sacked, he's getting bounced around, and there's someone around him distracting him. And it's it's hard to be really efficient at that position without other people playing their position efficiently. So, yeah. anyway, I think that's the number one thing. And uh, I think sometimes uh, players get a lot of, a lot of money because they have played well, and all of a sudden they don't play as well. Mm. I, I You know, I sense that with a few guys. Uh, am I right? Hell, I don't know. I'm just a fan now, yeah. And uh, I I never, I never question Doug when we communicate about why he did something or what's wrong or anything. I'm just sort of a an emotional support guy for him because I've been I've lost more games than he has, (laughs) yeah. So I know what it's like.
0: Well, Coach, it has been an honor to talk to you. Um, I've, I've wanted to talk to you for for a long time, and I'm I'm really thrilled that we were able to to talk today about this 1980 Eagles team. That I've had so much fun going back and taking a look at the season that you guys had and reminiscing. And
1: let me make a suggestion: if you want to add credibility, what you're doing right now, talk to Jaworski. Yeah. Talk talk to Harold Carmichael. Yeah. Uh, talk to Stan Walters and Jerry Sizemore, who just went in the Philadelphia Hall of Fame. Talk to Wilbert Montgomery. I made a coach out of Wilbert
0: Montgomery. Yes, you did.
1: It's not all – that game team is not all about the head coach. It's about all those guys. Yes, sir. If you want to really add credibility to this little venue you're working on right now, I would talk to those guys. They know more about why we won than I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir, I will. Thank you so much, Coach. I really appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, John. Take care. And when we come back, we're going to go through some of these games in November that uh, helped the Eagles continue on their long winning streak, although a little hiccup at the end of November that led to a little bit of a speed bump towards the end of the 1980 season. But we'll get into all those games coming up next here on BGN Memories. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation
2: counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn
0: more at Marines.com. And we're back on BGN Memories. So let's take a look back at this 1980 Eagles team in November, they started the month with three straight games on the road, and four out of five games in the month were away from Veterans Stadium. In Week Nine, the eight and the Eagles moved to eight and one after beating the Seattle Seahawks 27 to 20 in Seattle, dropped the Seahawks to four and five. The Birds had a seven to six halftime lead thanks to a Billy Campfield one yard touchdown run, but the Seahawks jumped on top 13 to seven with a Steve Largent 27 yard touchdown catch, and in a seesaw battle, the Eagles then went back up on top 14 13 with a Charlie Smith 15-yard touchdown reception in the third quarter, followed by a Tony Franklin field goal that made it 17-13. However, Seattle got a 9-yard touchdown run from Dan Dornick to make it 20-17 in the fourth quarter. However, the Eagles were able to pull away late with another Billy Camfield touchdown, a 5-yard reception from Jaworski, followed by a late 25-yard field goal by Franklin that made the final score 27-20. Jaworski was solid, 19-of-30 for 253, two touchdowns and an interception with a 98.3 rating. Charlie Smith had five catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. No Wilbert Montgomery in this game. Interesting, the Eagles won this game despite losing the turnover battle two to nothing, but yet they managed to win by seven points. Moving along to week ten, the Eagles moved to nine and one. In a game, they were widely expected to win against the New Orleans Saints, who moved to 0-10 after this 34-21 loss. But uh, the Saints really played pretty well in this game until the very end. This is when the Saints, by the way, were really bad. I mean, paper bag on their heads, really bad. Archie Manning, really the only good thing they had going but the Saints took a quick 7-0 lead, uh, but a Harold Carmichael touchdown tied it. The Saints went back up 14-7 thanks to a Wes Chandler touchdown pass from Archie Manning. A Franklin field goal and then another Carmichael touchdown from Jaws made it 17-14 Eagles at the half. A third Carmichael touchdown in the third quarter stretched that lead to 10 The Saints played tough, though, with a Brooks-Williams touchdown pass from Manning, making it 24-21 Eagles. But the Birds would add another Tony Franklin field goal and a fourth-quarter Mike Hogan run to put the final score 34-21 Eagles. Now, the Saints put up 411 yards of offense against the number one defense in the league that day. Jaws was great, 21 of 32 for 323 yards, three touchdowns, and no, and no interceptions. Archie Manning, 25 of 40 for 306, three touchdowns, and one INT. Carmichael caught five balls for 89 yards and three touchdowns in this one. A huge They didn't have fantasy football back in those days, but if they had, Carmichael would have been the fantasy star. Charlie Smith, however, caught nine balls for 137 yards, but did not find the end zone. Moving on to Week 11. In Washington, the Eagles shut out the f- football team. They weren't called the football team back then. To move to ten and one on the season, Washington dropped to three and eight. Twenty-four to nothing was the final score. The defense pitching a shutout in this one. The offense, however, got the birds up rolling early. Took a quick fourteen nothing lead in the first quarter. Started off by tight end Keith Crefley getting the boards. The birds on the board first. Receivers popped in the bottom of the screen. Two tight ends here, both Spagnola and Keith Crefley. Jaworski with time.
2: Crefley, he's in for the touchdown. Keith Crefley over the middle with his third touchdown catch of the year. And this
0: big tight end, boy, he's like money in the bank. That was followed by the Eagles' other top-receiving tight end, John Spagnola, hauling in this touchdown grab later in the opening quarter. Carmichael to the top of the screen. Smith to the bottom. Jaworski with time again. This is Spagnola,
2: touchdown. Two touchdowns. with two touchdown catches on the two series that the Eagles have had the football. That's the thing, you know, the Redskins are paying an awful lot of attention out there to Harold Carmichael and Charles Smith, as we see in the top of the the picture there. They're doubling out there. They're leaving single coverage on the tight ends, and that's where Ron Jaworski is going to work.
0: Franklin added a 38-yard field goal in the second quarter to make it 17-0. And then last week's guest on the show, Jerry Robinson, closed out a terrific day for the defense in the third quarter to seal the deal. Let's go for it. On fourth
2: down, less than a yard to go. Forte, I don't think he made it. No, he didn't make it. That loose. Picking it up is Jerry Robinson. Robinson to the 30, 25, 20. That team kept getting
0: What a reversal on fourth and less than a yard. And the Eagles have gone the other way. It was not a banner day for the Birds offense, but the defense held Joe Theismann to 16 of 34 for 164 yards with no touchdowns and three interceptions. Moving on to week 12, the Eagles won their fourth game in a row. Finally, going back home to Veteran Stadium to take on the Oakland Raiders in a pre Super Bowl in a, in a Super Bowl preview, as it turns out. The Eagles moved to eleven and one on the season. The Raiders fell to eight and four as they beat Oakland ten to seven at the vet. It was a huge interconference matchup for both teams, although I think the NBC broadcast oversold the consequences of this matchup just a little bit.
2: Dick Enberg with Bob Trumpy. Welcome to Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. The AFC Oakland Raiders, 8-3, first place in the AFC West against the first place Philadelphia Eagles. Ten wins, only one defeat the leaders in the NFC East. Two teams looking ahead to the playoffs and this an opportunity to judge just how good they are as they match themselves against great talent, whether it be the Eagles against the Raiders or Dick Vermeil's uh, Eagle defense facing that Oakland Raider offense. Dick, it's a, it's a well-worn a phrase, but this is a must win for both of these football teams with five games left in the season. This being the 12th game of the season, it applies today.
0: Obviously, it was not a must-win game for the Raiders as they lost this football game and still managed to beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. So, sorry, Bob Trumpy. A defensive struggle ensued as neither offense could get anything going in the first half, so you had a scoreless game heading into the halftime locker room. Tony Franklin finally broke the seal in the third quarter, connecting on a long field goal to draw first blood. But the Raiders answered right back on this long touchdown catch by Cliff Branch from Jim Plunkett. Plunkett
2: goes deep for he's Chandler. Over. No, it's Whittington. Branch. Or Branch, and he's going to go oh. all the way for a touchdown. A most unusual pattern. They had Chandler running as they did the first half and Branch was a trailer and they threw short to Branch and then he used Chandler's shielding block for an
0: 86-yard touchdown. Happily, the Eagles drove down the field late in the fourth quarter to take the lead and seal the win capped off by the return of Wilbert Montgomery to the lineup. Jaworski on second and goal to the three. Montgomery... And so the Eagles of course then moved to 11 and 1 on the season by beating the Raiders 10 to 7. Finally, in week 13 there were five games played in November here in 1980. The Eagles' long winning streak, their eight-game winning streak, finally came to an end as they fell to a very talented Chargers team in San Diego, twenty-two to twenty-one. The Chargers moved to nine and four on the season with this win. The Eagles fell to eleven and two. Air Coriel, you may have heard that name before. Don Coriel's Chargers really were—they they were one of a—they um, were a little bit of a. They're, Before their time, in terms of passing the football, they were incredibly good in the air. They really emphasized the passing game. Had a fantastic offense led by quarterback Dan Fouts, wide receiver Charlie Joyner, and tight end Kellen Winslow. Winslow and Fouts, in fact, hooked up twice in the first half, first on a 14-yard pass in the first quarter. Second and
2: nine, Fouts will throw. Lobs it out there to Winslow. Touchdown! Touchdown to Kellen Winslow.
0: They hooked up again in the second quarter from 17 yards out on a brilliant catch over Jerry Robinson to make it 16 to nothing as uh, the Chargers missed the extra point after Winslow's first touchdown.
2: One throw. one throw. Oh, yeah. last year, has it all. That's what he says, he's lined up at a variety of positions, that time he's lined up on a, as a back, on a win-back position, making a linebacker covering, and really, Robinson did a good job, except that he couldn't outleap him, he's 6'6", and Robinson, the
0: young linebacker uh,
2: for the Philadelphia Eagles, is much shorter than that, at
0: 6'2". The score was 19 to nothing, Chargers at the half, thanks in part to Tony Franklin missing three field goals in the first half.
2: He's going to try it. That was out, up, and it's That's the third
0: one, third attempt for him. None of them good in the first half. Wilbert Montgomery, however, got the birds on the board in the third quarter. And as you heard Coach Vermeil mention, this was a second-half team, and the Eagles came roaring back, made it 19-7 after that Mon- after a Montgomery uh, touchdown run. A Chargers field goal in the fourth quarter made it 22-7. But then Keith Krefley hauled in a 16-yarder from Ron Jaworski in the fourth quarter.
2: Here they go. Play actually that way again. They close it out. There's Crefley. Touchdown! For the score, the tight end number 84. And the Eagles strike quickly.
0: And that was followed by a Montgomery receiving touchdown pass from Jaws to draw the birds to within one, but that was as close as they'd get. Boy, 35 yards passing in the first half. They've come to with the passing game.
2: Touchdown. Robert Montgomery has it. And the Eagles are right back in. That's their third touchdown in the second half one-point game and Hank Stram has been pointing out here this is the most disciplined team we've seen all year they never lose their cool they're very consistent they have three-hour practice sessions they practice the longest of any club in the league to make something happen, they still tried to the very last minute to get back in the ball game and win it, and that's exactly what you talk about when you talk about the character of a football team, with Philadelphia.
0: So the Eagles were down with just a little under three minutes left in the game, 22 to 21. But the Chargers played keep away from that point on, and the Eagles never got the ball back to help finish off the comeback. And of course, there was no two point conversions in the NFL at this time, so an eight point lead was a two score game, and so the Eagles just were not able to get over the hump and finish off the comeback. With that loss, the Eagles finished the November slate 4-1 and and headed into December 11-2 and in first place in the NFC East. However, that was only good enough to stay one game up on those Dallas Cowboys who were 10-3 and and breathing down the Eagles' necks through their first 13 games. So next month, we'll take a look at the Eagles final three games in December and talk about how they managed to secure the top seed in the NFC playoffs and managed to hold off the Dallas Cowboys and win the NFC East. In the meantime, that'll do it for this edition of BGN memories. Again, my thanks to coach Dick Vermeil for coming on the podcast and sharing his insights. And I'm going to do what coach Vermeil suggested and do my best to get, uh, to get those guys on the podcast and, and talk about their memories from this incredible 19, Eighty Eagles season. In the meantime, that'll do it for this edition of BGN Memories. And again, don't forget to check out bleedinggreennation.com every day for the latest Eagles news of this 2020 team Uh, if you are still reading about the eagles i imagine most of you are and uh, so you can keep track on your nfc east leading philadelphia eagles here during the 2020 season and please leave a five-star rating at the bleeding green nation podcast feed on apple Podcasts. tell your friends about the bleeding green nation podcast feed at stitcher spotify wherever it is you get your podcasts thanks everybody for tuning in i'll talk to you next time here on bgn memories